everybody. Um, welcome to the Bird's Eye View. Yeah, and uh, today we are reviewing of men and mice and men. I always say it backwards. Why? Well, I don't get. You just for some reason it's a hard name to remember for me. Of mice and men. Of oh, mice and it's men. It's three words of mice and men. Four words actually. Sorry, and it's written by John Steinbeck. Okay. Do so, you know anything about this man? Actually, no, do we? <laughs> we have not prepared anything. <laughs> no, we do, we do, we do. Remember, this is improv, everybody, so... <laughs> so, just... there's some things interesting that I found we out roll about with him. It. <laughs> he was born in Salinas, California in oh. 1902. 1902. And he, it says he comes from a very wealthy family, but he was interested in the life of uh, farm laborers. Oh. And he actually spent some time working with them to research... happening in the laboring work in that time in Salinas, California. Especially just Salinas, California? or It looks like there. He wrote a number of novels about poor people who work in the land and dreamt about a better life. But do you want to say the names of those novels? Uh, the Grapes of Worth, which is the heartrending story of family struggle to escape the dust bowl of West to reach California. Oh, so he's very interested in California. Well, because he was born there. Oh. And he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1962. And he actually died in 1968. Very young. What age was he? When he died? 66. 66. That is... For 1960, it's like... Relatively young. Yeah. Yeah. Today, people die at 80. Things like that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, a few minutes ago... When we were not planning to start a podcast about this, uh, we read a small passage around a page, A4 page, and we are trying to um, find out the different methods that Steinbeck has used in his passage to present Lenny. Okay? So, one of the first things that we discovered was that uh, Steinbeck like, likes using animalistic terms like uh, paw, right? And in the start of this, passage right here um it says here curly stepped over to lenny like a terrier now uh if you haven't read the book uh obviously recommend it it's a very nice book it's short maybe it's a short novel uh we got the the large uh how do you call it the the um sorry uh the large letter novel so for me i have around 200 and six, uh, 46 pages, 246 pages for me, but the typical novel is around 180 pages, so if you're a person who likes reading short novels, this is the book for you, and it's very, uh, very descriptive, uh, Mr. Steinbeck, um, actually is very good at descripting thing, describing things, and it, it makes a picture in your head, so, um, again, if we just hop over to the animistic terms, um, again, Curly is a small but like angry person. He's very vicious sometimes. So it's perfect how he says stepped over to Lenny like a terrier. So a terrier depends what terrier obviously, but a terrier is small, which is what Curly is. He is a small person who compensates for his size, right? And um 
again, terrier, for, like ferocious, not ferocious, but like vicious, right? Mm-hmm. And I've had experiences with, with terriers that almost literally, I think I almost that killed me. <laughs> no, just made me fall over. Yeah, that, that's, that was my life flashed before me when a small, tiny dog scared me. Um, yeah. So what other things? So we, we talked about the, his huge paws. Yeah. Uh, Lenny's ball. And he uh, also talked yeah. about how Lenny um, flops the little man. Okay. Flops like a little man. Flops like a fish. Like a fish. That's what he said there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is that? I don't know if there's anything else. Um, again, here, huge paws. Lenny covered his face with his huge paws. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, was he? George is like a, the leader, it's a parent child theme like Lenny is the child and he follows along in George. in George's footsteps it, mm-hmm. as it says here that um Lenny follows right behind George even in the open and uh yeah uh yeah oh, but that's in the in the opening scene in the opening in, scene in this yes but here the interesting part is Lenny always looks up to George. In this case, he didn't want to fight, but he actually starts. Like he's, with he's one of these. Pe- he's one of these people that who like who don't want to fight, but there is a point that when that line is crossed, he will try to protect himself. In this point here, uh, he said that. Um, he said that. Uh, where is it here? Um, so basically, what happened is that. Uh, Curly was trying to find his wife, and somehow Lenny wanted to just giggled. Did he? Yeah, he just giggled for some reason. And then, so Curly, so here in the passage here it says, then Curly rage exploded. Come out, come on, you, uh, yeah, big, and get on your get up on your feet. No big, um, no big kid is gonna laugh at me. I'll show you who's Yella. If people who don't know what Yella is, it's an old term to say, I'll show you who's boss, right? And um, so here again, it says, Lenny looked up hopelessly at George because again, George is the parent of the group of both of them. So it's like when a child doesn't need help and it's hurt, they always look for their parents, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, again, when they're in the middle of the fight, uh, jo- uh, George cried, make him leave, uh, sorry, no. Lenny said that make me make him leave him alone. So basically, George, uh, George didn't, didn't didn't do anything. Just sat there at the guidelines. Okay. Sat there at the guidelines and did, basically did nothing until around the end of the fight for some reason. And uh, again, so so but Lenny watched in terror while the flopping little man who he held. So basically, what happened is that um. That, that Curly tried to punch him, but he, he stopped it. A simple block, right? And, uh, and straight after that, what happened was that um, he grabbed it, and Curly wasn't expecting that, wasn't he? No. And then what happened is that some reason, something got over Lenny, and he just crushed his hand into a paste, right? Um... And he didn't know what to do. And then he literally grabbed him and held him up. And he started flop. And then uh, Curly started flopping around like a fish. That is what we're told here. Um, 
But then he watched in terror the little flopping man who he held in his hand. Okay? The next minute, Curly was flopping like a fish on the line. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good Flop- one right there. Flopping as a fish on the line. Flopping as a fish. That's the animalistic. Uh, uh, another animalistic imagery. term, yes. Uh, imagery. So, um, here... Uh, then George ran down. So after that, Lenny was starting to win the fight. George got involved, didn't he? So what he said was, George ran down to the room. Let go of him, Lenny. Let go. And um, but he didn't let go because this is a thing that he likes to do. He when, when he's told to do something, when he's in the middle of something, he does not want to finish. Like here, he tells him maybe. Um, how many times? One, two, three, four. Four times before he actually lets go. So here it says, um, Slim, come help me while the guy's still got any hand left. So this this is like this shows how big Lenny actually is compared to um to Curly. Because if you can fit someone else's whole fist in your hand, okay, without like, you know, actually showing some skin of the other person. It's insane, right? He has such big hands that mm-hmm. you can completely crush a hand, right? And it just shows how much strength he has, but he doesn't even notice it. He didn't want to hurt him. Here, it says here, Lenny cried. I didn't want to hurt him. That just shows that he's, he's a friendly giant, like you said earlier. He is a friendly giant. And again here, Slim straightened up and regarded with Lenny with horror. We've got to get him to a doctor. That's how bad it was. Sim- it wasn't a broken finger, but it was a broken hand, a completely shredded hand, right? Um, looks like to me, bone in his hand is bust. Every bone. That is insane. Do you have anything to say from that, Maria? I think I really like the the way, the personification of the characters. Um, there's also some kind of uh, relationship of what's happening in society with those mm-hmm. characters in that scene yeah yeah I, I, I think yeah I would say that yeah um there's always somebody that trying to get advantage and somebody that cheers the other one up yeah a bystander, they, it's, a like, bystander. It's, like a, it's a bullying thing so basically Curly is just trying to show that to to Lenny that he is the boss you cannot do anything about it I am the boss that's what Curly thinks Mm -hmm. but then the second that he wrote that Lenny revolts Curly is doomed he cannot do anything about it his whole hand just disappeared in someone else's fist at that point you're like I lost and in the end of that whole thing Curly probably thinks that he won but actually he didn't Uh, like you know that happens and uh, he just is a it's a baby. That's what he is. He just he's a child. He doesn't understand what he just did. It takes a couple minutes for him to process what just happened, right? Um. So, Maria, is there any other one any things that you want to move on to, or do you want to move on to the next page? Mm, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you want to read that one? Oops, puts his dark chin. Yeah, sure. Um. So, I am not the greatest reader before I tell anyone else. Go slowly. Yeah. So, Crooks put his dark chin into his big, uh, sorry, pink palm. You travel around with George, don't you? Make sure me and him goes every place together. 
Crooks continued. Sometimes he talks, and you don't know what that is. So in that part there, so basically, he mutters sometimes. Like he speaks things that he doesn't that that uh, George doesn't understand. Okay. Lenny, you're talking about Lenny. Lenny. Sorry, okay. Lenny talks mm-hmm. to George sometimes, and he then George just goes with it. He rolls with it. And um, ain't that so? He leaned forward, boring Lenny with his deep eyes. Ain't that so? Yes, sometimes, but not always. <laughs> you know, just just has to put it that way. Uh, so Crooks leaned forward. Uh, Crooks leaned forward over the edge of the bunk. Ain't that southern person? He said, "I was born right here in California." My old man had a chicken ranch, about ten acres. Uh, white kids come play at, at our place sometimes. I went to play with them, but some of them were pretty nice. My old man didn't like that. I never knew till long later why he didn't like that. But now I know. He hesitated, and when he spoke again, his voice was softer. He was not. Another colored family for miles around, and again, a colored man on this ranch is just one of the family in Soledad. He laughed. If sometimes, is uh, why is it just a person saying it? Lenny asked, "How long do you think it'll be before them pups are old enough to pet?" Now, Lenny is a person who just loves petting soft things, right? It's one of these people who. He has a mental disability. He is big. He doesn't understand anything of what he can do. Mm-hmm. His potential—that is what you should say. He doesn't understand his potential, so he likes petting soft things. So first, a girl in so- in weed is what we're told first that he he pet her and he caused a big problem there. He touched her. You don't pet the person. Sorry. Um, he he touched her dress, mm-hmm. right? The fabric, yeah. The fabric. He likes soft things, right? So if you go get like a, a rag or something like that, you, like not a rag, but like, uh, like if you feel a carpet, it's nice and soft, right? And for some reason, he has this addiction that he likes it, right? And then when they were going to find a new job because they lost a job in weed because of this incident, oh, they run away. They run away, obviously, and they got the whole town after looking after uh, looking for them. So they went to Soledad in California, and during the forest, three times he found mice, and every single time. They probably bit him or something like that, and he squeezed their neck so so strong that he just broke the neck. Now, don't go doing this to your hamster or whatever mouse you have, okay? And if you just feel that they are they have strong bones when they're young, but when they're old, you don't know how old these mice are. But for a young mouse or hamster or something like that, that is you have to be str- that's a pinch, a very strong pinch. So that's kind of insane how you can do that so easily. So let's check what Lenny's asking. Now. Uh, so how long do you think the pups can be old enough to pet? So, yeah. Um, but you can see his disability is tactile. Yeah, he, he wants to he, touch soft, soft things. things. It's it, it is like he, he likes it, right? At that time, people don't understand those things because those are disabilities that later on people start understanding. But yeah, in the 30s, it's hard to understand. That yeah, kind of the stuff. disabilities weren't like accepted back then. This is this is. Not a disability, yeah. Yeah, this is post World War Two, so like. This is more like. A World War One, sorry. Um, this is post World War One. The uh, food is scarce. It's nineteen. It's fifteen. Or, it's fifteen years later. 
Uh, no, sorry, no. 1930. 1930. Before. Um, no. It was after the Great Depression. 1930. Yeah, just two years after the Great Depression. And, uh... So what's, Two Crook, years before, what's Crook saying, uh, Bertie? Uh, Crooks laughed. A guy that talks, uh, sorry, a guy can talk to you about anything and be sure you won't be go blabbing. Couple of weeks and them pups will be right. George knows what, uh, what he's about. Just talks about, just talk, just, just talks and you don't understand a thing. Um... He leaned forward excitedly. This is just a person talking. A busted back person. So, it does not mean nothing. You couldn't remember it anyways. I've seen it over and over. A guy talking... uh, A guy talking... Another guy. A guy talking to another guy? And don't make any difference. But if he don't hear or understand... The thing that they're talking about, or they're setting, still not be. See, this is old slang, so it's just kind of hard to read still to not these days. It's not talking like normal. He was like, it's more like dialect. Like they're writing down exactly what they were saying. So, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to piece the words together here. So it's taking a little while. So uh, they are setting, not in talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like a little slash, probably like a G or something mm-hmm. like that. So they they eat the jeep they're not talking yeah like no, I'm not talking uh it don't make no difference no difference he excitedly had increased he he pounded his knee on his hand like a nice good slap knee slap you know that that ha 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 knee slap uh George can tell uh you uh amazing things George can tell you sweet things uh, sorry, um, and don't matter. It's just talking. It's just been talking with another guy. That's all. He paused. His grow, his voice grows softer and persuasive. Suppose George don't come back no more. Suppose he took the powder and just ain't coming back. What will you do then? This is what it shows that Lenny is dependent on George. If George didn't come back, then he's completely done. You can't do anything. And he, uh, Crooks knew. To Crooks him. knew that he. This is the way that he wants he, to expose him. He wants to expose him. This, that this is his weakness, right? Mm-hmm. This is the only way that he can actually get at him. He's like, this is the way I'm gonna get at you. Like, there's ways that you can get at me, but I, I know the I know the more weakness. I know that you're mentally uh, not capable of understanding this properly, as just me taking you know taking the taking the fun out of you. Uh. So what are you what what are you gonna do then? He demanded. I suppose George went into town. Uh, what's the name? Sorry, I skipped the line. Lenny's attention came gradually to the to what he had been said. So what did he demanded? Uh, um, I said suppose George went down to a night that you've never heard of him no more. Crooks pressed for some, some kind of private private victory, right? So, this is his only chance to get at the people that, you know, discriminate him, like, like, discriminate against them, right? His only chance to get against, like, sorry, uh, first, first podcast, though, is some shivery. Um, so it's the first, like, uh, first time that he probably could get back at another person who, like, his, their race, 
like oppressed their race, right? So it's it's their way that they can get at it. So like, remember, this is 1930s. There is racism at these times. This is when racism probably peaked after World War Two, after World War One, and depression, right? So these things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in ranches, as they use them as workers, but without paying them. What do you call? What do you call? What do you call again? Uh, forced labor, right? And um, uh, I suppose George went into town tonight, and he never heard of him no more. And you never heard of him no more. Jukes pressed some kind of pri- private victory. Just suppose that. He repeated, "He won't do it." Lenny cried, "George won't do it." So at this point, J- like George, be- uh, Lenny becomes very defensive, right? He starts like going towards. He's like, "No, he's not. He's gonna come back, right?" But inside, he's probably telling himself, I need George. No, he has to come back. He has to. Right? So then, uh, I've been George with a long time. He'll come back tonight. Uh, but with doubt, it's too much for him. Don't you think he will? Don't you think? He doubts. He doubts now. now. He starts doubting. He's like, so, is he So actually? what methods does staying back use in this passage to present crooks? Um, well, first of all, very racial language. Mm-hmm. Which I will have to censor. <coughs> which, which was used at that time. It was very common at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Despectively. Despectively. So, when I say talking like person, if you know what that means, good. If you don't, you'll learn sometime. But that's, you know, that's gonna happen. What else? Um, what else? Uh, well, first of all, again... He challenges uh, Lenny about why his relationship with George... Is so, so tight dearly, or dearly, dearly. Yeah. I think George wouldn't give up their relationship for anything, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. So they uh, sorry, kind Benny. of like why two men traveling together? What is your what's in it between the two? Yeah, two what, what is in it for you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, are you making any money of this? Mm-hmm. But the whole backstory is just that jo- uh, Lenny's aunt asked George to take care of him for the rest of his life yeah. because she sadly passed away. But Lenny doesn't convey that to George. No, troops there. Yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't. He doesn't actually know. He thinks that just uh, George is just doing this by himself without actually, you know, wanting to like, without actually just doing this because he wants to do it. But I can tell you, because their connection grew so strong, probably George forgot about this talk with, um, uh, with um, with Aunt Clara. That's her name, Aunt Clara. And she, they don't give us any description, do they? No, not at all. That's an, another thing there says they're crooks to Lenny. Mm. That George sometimes talks and Lenny doesn't understand what's happening. You know, what's. Yeah, he kind of just rolls with it, doesn't he? He just rolls with it. Like, okay, I'm gonna roll with it. His uh, mental development is not as bright. You know, so. Mm-hmm. so, do you think staying back uses the character of crooks in the novel as a whole to convey important ideas about society at that time? Well,. I think I do, actually. Like, he uses him in ways that you wouldn't really think that you would use somebody, right? Like, uh... In what kind of ways? Hmm. You got me on the spot here. <laughs> um, well... About society. I think the, the little monologue that he has about... Yeah. The word, you know. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, mm, 
a person. No, it, I don't matter. I have very little value. Yeah. Uh, I make no difference. And he, um, he yeah. Um, so I think that paragraph there is important. Mm-hmm. The other piece is where at the beginning he says when he was little, his dad owned a chicken ranch and mm-hmm. he used to play with other white kids and he, he thought that was nice but his old man didn't like it and then he discovered why you know it wasn't it wasn't another color family for miles around and there ain't color man on this ranch as you can see in the one family it's only that yeah if I say something why isn't it just saying okay so there's a couple of things yeah. they're saying about the person of color they're not entitled to anything they're not like if you read the book they describe him separated from everyone else he's he has his own little shed his own little bunk by himself now there's obviously some privileges to that you have your own bunk away from everyone but like um like during christmas time last time uh This is the second segment segment of Mice and Men. This is the Bird's Eye View podcast. It's more like we're doing like four episodes in one. Just 25 minutes long. Obviously, they're going to be like an hour. You know, who, who, no, one likes to get, no one likes a 20 minute segment. Y'all, oh my God, my keyboard. We don't want, uh, yeah. So basically, most of them, an hour. If we're tired, 45 minutes. Yeah, okay. So we are back after that short little break of five minutes and just rearranging, re- rearranging everything, and we are good to go. Okay, so we're rethinking of both mice and men. You said it right. Yes. Haha. Thank she, you. She learns. So now we're going to talk about the start of the book and um, the opening scene. So we're going to say, I'm going to start reading that small paragraph. So, the evening of a hot day started the little wind to move among the leaves. So remember, he writes in a very descriptive, visually descriptive way. Yeah. The shade climbed up the hills towards the top on the sandbanks. The rabbit sat as quietly as little gray sculpture stones. And then from the direction of the state highway came the sounds of footsteps of crisp sycamore leaves. The rabbits hurried noiselessly for cover. A stilted heron labored up into the air and bounded down the river. You can see the bird coming up and down. Mm-hmm. For a moment the place was lifeless, and then the two men emerged from the path and came into the opening by the green pool. They had walked in a single file down the path. Single file. One following the other. Why? It just it's shows. a parent and child relationship. Remember? That's submissive. That's why. What's Nanny in the back. But for the young viewers who don't know what submissive is, it's a parent and childhood. More like parent and child following. So each follow, like, Lenny follows what George does. He tries to mimic what okay. he does. Yeah. And even in the open, 
one stayed behind the other. Both were dressed in denim trousers and denim coats and brass buttons. So that tells you they're farming. Work the farm. They're work. They're workmen. Both wore black shapeless hats, and both carried tight blanket rolls slung over their shoulders. The first man was small and quick, dark of face, with restless eyes and sharp, strong features. Every part of him was de- well was defined: small, strong hands, slender arms, thin and bony nose. Behind me walked his opposite, a huge man, shapeless face, with large pale eyes, with wide sloping shoulders, and he walked heavily, dragging his feet a little, a little the way a bear drags his paws, again. Animalistic terms. His arms did not swing at his side, but hang loosely, and only moved because his hands were pendulous. The first man stopped short in the clearing, and the fuller nearly ran over him. He took off his hat and wiped the sweatband over his, uh, with his forefinger and snapped the moisture off. His huge companion dropped his blankets and flung himself down and drank from the surface of the green pool. He drank with long looks, snorting into the water like a horse. The small man stepped nervously behind him. Lenny, he said sharply. Lenny, for God's sake, don't drink so much. Lenny continued to snort into the pool. The small man leaned over and shook him by the shoulder. Lenny, you're gonna be sick like you were last night. Lenny dripped his whole head under, hat and all, and then he sat up the bank and his hat dripping down on his blue coat and ran down his back. That's good, he said. You drink some, George. You take a good big drink. He smiled happily. Joy, George unslung his bindle and dropped it gently on the bank. I ain't sure it's good water, he said. Looks kind of scummy. So, what do you think about that small little, well, not small, it's more like four paragraphs of a section of, this, of the opening scene so far. Uh, you could tell Just one of them. Right there. <laughs> a little bit. You <laughs> Tired. Tell. It's, what time is it today? It's, it's half, seven. half seven. You can tell that, you know, Lenny doesn't really know what he's doing he just reacts he is thirsty he drinks the water he doesn't pay attention if the water is clean or not and then George just gives out to him Lenny dabbled his big paw in the water and wiggled his fingers so the water rose a little splashes rings widened across the pool to the other side and came back again Lenny watched them go look George look what I've done very childish playing. Oh yeah, he like very he tries to show off to him. He's like, "Think, look what I did. I did something actually." George knelt beside the pool and drank with his hand with quick scoops. Tastes all right, he admitted. Don't really seem to be running though. You never ought to drink water that ain't running, Lenny. Life skill. Hopefully, you drink out a gutter if you were thirsty. Uh-huh. He threw a scoop of water into his face and rubbed it about with his hand under his chin Who's and around the back Sorry. of his neck. George. This is George, okay. Then he replaced his hat, pushed himself back from the river, drew up his knees and embraced them. Lenny, who had been watching, imitated George exactly. He pushed himself back, drew up his knees, embraced them, took over to George to see whether he was all right. He pulled his hat down a little over his eyes, the way George had. Was. So he was emulating 
He was copying. Copying. Copying and doing the exact same of what he did. So what methods does Stan Van Giesen dispatches to protect Lenny and George? How do you think Stan Van Giesen's relationship between George and Lenny in the novel as a whole to convey important ideas about society at the time? Oh, you finished it already? Yeah. You're a quick reader. What do you mean, small one? By my calculations, it looked kind of big. <laughs> I think it was the biggest so, one, actually. First of all, the description of the place. Yeah. It tells you, you know, this is an untouched territory. It's nice and pristine. It's safe. They they can they've been walking. They can rest. They can drink mm-hmm. the water. Um, but the other thing we don't is, know yet. <laughs> The other thing is the description of how they're being dressed. It tells you... That they are working class, class, right? They are working class. The other thing is the uh, walking one behind the other. You can tell who's submitted to who. The copying of one another. Parent and child. Parent-child relationship. Kind of emulating, you know, who's the child and who's the Mm grown-up. So... It's half seven on a Thursday. That's it. Amber passed out no I, there is a lot of to cover this is a very complex novel and I still mm. want you to cover it it's, so, it's it's a, it's it's small but it packs a punch and also the vi- the visual you know as you read the chapters you can actually visualize the leaves you can visualize the mountains it's very descriptive you can visualize the men walking through the highway the dust the leaves the sycamore leaves it tells you exactly what kind of leaves it is space you are Okay. Evening of a hot day started the wind to move among the leaves. The shade climbed up the, the hills towards the top. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. E- no. Yeah, the last one. Oh, like uh, George. George, okay. That's George, right. okay. George, okay. Someday we gotta get the jack together. We're gonna have a little Lenny's. Have a little Lenny spoke craftily. Tell me, like you've done before. Tell you what? By the rabbits, George snapped. You ain't gonna put nothing over me. Lenny pleaded. Come on, George, tell me, please tell me, like you've done before. You gotta get out of that, don't you? All right, I'll tell you, and then we'll eat our supper. George's voice became deeper. He repeated his words rhythmically, as though he has said them so many times before. Guys like us that work on the ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They have no family, they don't belong to no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake and then they go into town and blow their stake. And the first thing you know, they're pounding their tail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look ahead to. Lenny was delighted. That's it, that's it, now tell me how it's with us, George went. With us, it ain't like that. We got a future. We got somebody to talk to that gives a damn about us. We don't have to sit in no bar room blowing in our jack juice like whiskey because we got no place else to go. If we them other guys gets in jail, they rot for all. Nobody gives a damn, but not us. So if for, again, younger viewers, um, you want to tell them what blowing our jack means? Basically, spending your money on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Lenny broke in, but not us. And why? Because I got you to look after me, and you got me to look after you, and that's why he laughed delightedly. Go on, George. 
you got it by heart you can do it yourself now you I forget some some of the things tell about how is it gonna be okay someday we're gonna get the jack together and we're gonna have a little house and a couple of acres and a cow and some pigs and, and live out of the fat of the land and shall be and have rabbits go on George tell about what we're gonna have in the garden and about the rabbits in the cages and about the rain in the winter and the stove and how thick the cream is on the milk you like you can hardly cut it tell about that George why don't you do it yourself you know it all no you tell it I ain't the same but you tell it go on George how I get to tend the rabbits well said George we'll have a big vegetable patch and a rabbit hutch and chicken and when it rains in the winter we'll save just the hell with going to work and we'll build up a fire in the stove and set around and listen to the rain coming down the roof's nuts he took out his pocket knife I ain't got time for no more he drove his knife through the top of one of the bean cans saw it the top and passed the can to Lenny then he opened a second can from his side pocket he brought two spoons and passed one of them to Lenny very strong isn't it yeah that, and that's just the opening scene like that's yeah, it tells you a lot yeah just before they go to the ranch now there was one part sorry my voice just cracked there um there was one part there um I don't know I'll try to find it while you explain what you wanted to explain no I said it, it's kind of hard to listen you know what they were saying about um, they only got themselves when compared to the other guys that have nobody they just go to the bars blow the money drink the alcohol because there's nothing better to do mm, it's the they only thing no they can do during their time yes they right. have no families to go to and uh, they don't have a house they don't have a home they no. don't have any land that the, see this this whole part of this chapter it is the 1930s American dream isn't it it is the American dream. The anti-dream. What do you mean, anti-dream? Because the dream is the second part, where they have a land, they have a house, they have a vegetable patch, they're the boss of themselves. So from... The, the American dream is that you can actually do anything you want. So from no. George, okay, to, um, to... You got it by heart, you can do it yourself. That is your reality. That's what they have at the moment. But this is the, their American dream is live off the fat of the land, which is just you know become self sufficient and just mm-hmm. you know live off their land. And this is another thing that he just wants rabbits. This is his, this is his life goal to have rabbits and pet them, right? I wouldn't trust them myself personally with rabbits that he can do anything with, but you know that is his life. That's what he wants to have is become a rabbit, a rabbiteer. I call it. Is it a rabbiteer? I think. Do you have anything else to add, Maria? Hmm. I think we have one more page. Well, there's something interesting. It's not mentioned here. Well, it, it also is very sad that they only have to eat two cans of beans. Yeah. So it shows they don't. They, they don't even have a meal. They don't have a proper meal. It's canned. It's They're not, not sleeping in a bed or in it's a, a. It's a. It's a. It's a rug. It's a rug that they have. I think. Yeah. And they sleep outside. They sleep, they, they're like the military, they don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Just off what they what they bring. 
So here I found something very interesting that somebody wrote. It says, despite the vast differences between Lenny and George, what is the same things between them is the security of a plot of land in their own home. They dream about operating the farm together as a family. However, George wants the farm so he can finally have independence in the American dream. Just Lenny just wants to have unlimited access to petting rabbits. Yeah, so that's that's all he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And George wants to be, you know, his own boss. That's. It also says in the first chapter, George seems very worried that Lenny will not be able to remain quiet. Remember? When oh they yes. The ranch, he they, says they wanted him to just be quiet. Stay quiet because he doesn't want to. Trouble. He doesn't want weed to happen again. He doesn't want the weed is if if um if you probably skipped over the first part. So that's a for foreshadowing. As foreshadowing, well. yes. Because George can actually say, "I'm we're gonna have trouble." What is a foreshadowing for people who do not know what a foreshadowing is? So basically, a foreshadowing is something that is depicted at the start of something and is basically telling you this is also gonna happen here again. This is like happening first here. We're telling you now, it's a warning that's gonna happen again sometime in the story. So hold on, it's gonna happen again. And it what just is gives you a glimpse of what can happen. What in the can future. happen in the future. So what is the the result of this foreshadowing of uh So it's sorry, like, I completely forgot what we were talking about for a second. It just says <laughs> George and Lenny have been in trouble before. Oh and yes. They're gonna, yes. they're gonna be in trouble again. Well, that's 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 that's. So uh, George is actually saying, "Okay, we know it's gonna happen. We don't know when, but if it happens, it's like a, it's come like back a, here." It's like a job interview. You you know you you mess up the the job. It's your first impression to your boss. You mess up the first impression. You're not. You're probably not gonna get the job. To be honest. So Lenny loves touching soft things. Yes. He's obsessed with it. And it's his weakness, and it's a foreshadow that there's trouble to come. There is trouble to come. Yes, there is a lot of trouble to come. <clears throat> One thing that is very interesting in this novel yes. is that there's always a good description of the surrounding surrounding area. Yes, that is one thing I must con- uh, con- is condemn. Good thing. That is one thing I must condemn. To Mr. Steinbeck is that he's very good at depicting what is happening around them, especially in the start of the start passage. So after we finished this part here, so if you want to move on to this small PowerPoint that we, that, that was that we found, and uh, start reading that. Or I there's can... another first shadow here. Oh, it's there. I'm trying to read is the. Um confrontation between Curly and Lenny when they just meet. Mm-hmm. There's an antagonism against Lenny immediately since the very first time where Curly sees him. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can actually tell that Curly and Lenny, they're inevitably going to have a confrontation. Okay. So I have here another foreshadowing that we answered earlier but off the podcast. So, um, the killing of Candy's old dog foreshadows Lenny's death. Describe the two killings and point out any similarities or differences between them. Didn't we do that already? Yes, we did, but the, our audience hasn't heard that. Okay, so, so, you wanna... tell me. so, uh, 
the killings of Candy's old dog, the similarities of that. Um, spoiler alert, this is this whole thing, we have read the book, this is a book review, book study, whatever you want to call it, you don't mind. You use this for your own study, use this for your own game, you don't mind, right? This is for you to listen to, enjoy, right? Whatever. So, um, the killings of Candy's old dog, the foreshadowings of Lenny's death, right? So, describes the two killings and point out any similarities. So, first of all, um, similarities. They were both with guns, right? Pistols, whatever you want to call it. Actually, I think it was the, it was the same gun. The same gun that took the dog's life, took Lenny's life. Because it was can was it Candy's dog? A like Candy's gun or who was Carlson's gun actually, I think, right? It was Carlson. It's Carlson's gun, which was used to take both lives. Uh, and also what else what other similarities do we have? <clears throat> they were done by one person, they weren't done in a group, they were done separate from people. So it was two people, the killer and the killed. Uh, differences first it's a dog human, human life over dog life, uh, the dog was just old, and Carlson was just tired of the dog, dog didn't, the dog didn't do anything, he was just too old, and, you know, plus, the, the, the Slim's dog, dog had puppies, it, it wasn't, yeah, no, that was Slim's, it was Candy's dog, Candy's dog, Candy had a dog, no, Candy had puppies, Candy's dog had puppies has and puppies. he also has no dogs. But interesting also there, Antonio, the value of life. He said, now that we talked about the puppies. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Remember he said that the, the dog had nine puppies and he already drowned? Oh yes, he killed four. four of them. He, he drowned four of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm reading here something very interesting. Yes, you, like, you can read it if you would like to. It says also there's a, a scene... Um, where George is actually playing solitaire soli- with the cards. George, yes, and he's talking to Slim. Slim. Yes. So George plays solitaire, and it's important to note that he plays a game designed for just one person, even though he's never alone in the bunkhouse. Lenny. Yeah. No, um, sorry. That, that's my pause. I was just showing. I was showing Maria something that I saw. In this thing, birdie, you need to start birdie. Okay, we're even now. Okay, sorry. George plays solitaire, and it's important to know that he plays a game designed for just one person, even though he's never alone in the bunkhouse. Lenny will not be able to play cards because he lacks mental capacity. Do you understand that? Yes. So he plays a game of cards, George, for one person. For one person, because he knows he cannot play with Lenny. Yeah. But also, he's playing the same game while he's talking to Slim. Remember, he's playing cards while Slim is chit-chatting with him? Yeah. But he's not playing cards with Slim. So it just tells you that he will... It's like a foreshadowing that he's going to be alone. Oh, wow. Because mm-hmm. oh. The solitary game symbolizes George. George's life. He's usually in company with another person, usually Lenny. Yet he's entirely alone. The game also symbolizes George's desire to be on his own and free from responsibility of caring for Lenny. The game also foreshadows George's fate when he eventually has to choose to live without Lenny's companionship. So, do you think, um, do you think killing Lenny was a relief for George or kind of. also a sadness? Both. I think it's a, it's a like 
a dual feeling. So he, of he has guilt and relief. So the relief of no more responsibility except for himself and the grief that he just killed his best his friend. friend. Well, maybe not his best friend, but his companion. His companion. There's also here George's conflicting feelings about his relationship with Lenny are further demonstrated when he lies to the boss about him and Lenny being cousins. Yeah. Remember? He didn't want to say they were not related. Oh, yeah. Because at that time, two men that are not related is very weird. Yes. To be traveling by themselves or having a relationship. Back then, yes. Uh-huh. But today it is completely fine. So other men cannot accept a close relationship between two men who are not related. George is often also confused by his attachment to Lenny. However, he feels compelled to care for Lenny and he enjoys his companionship even when Lenny does not seem useful. In this respect, George is determined to care for Lenny in the same way Candy is doing it with his dog. Oh. It's a parallel. It's, it's, it's a foreshadowing. these. Is it a foreshadowing? Would you call it a foreshadowing? Okay. So, uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, so, anything else you want to pick on that topic before we take a small break again? Can you believe we've been talking for 25 minutes already? Again? So, so far we've talked for 50 minutes already? It's amazing how that podcast just flies by, right? Okay, so <clears throat> I didn't know there was a whore, a whorehouse in the in the Okay, yeah. Um It's in the book. Yeah, we're going to take a break now. We'll be back. you are all doing well welcome to the third segment of our bird's eye view podcast so my bird companion has left me for a meeting more superior than me no as a joke um so we are doing analysis for the last 10 15 minutes i want to try to go as quick as i can so i can get this under maybe an hour and 15 minutes somewhere around there so uh, they this analysis here that i am reading they start by saying that they are talking about the puppy that Slim has given Lenny. So, among the last mistakes, I said that Candy has puppies. That is wrong. Um, because I do not have the computer in front of me. I have on my other computer, which I didn't have the link to this. So, actually, Slim has nine puppies. Had nine puppies. And then he drowned five of them, sadly. Because, you know... If you have a if you have a business or something like that, just hypothetically, and you're saying, "Hey, I'm gonna keep the good people and I'm not, I'm gonna fire the bad people." That's literally what he's doing there. He's keeping the puppies that he think are gonna be strong, and then he's killing the ones that are not gonna be strong for him. Because remember, this is a working ranch, and you know you need people to be you know working. You need animals to be working. So he says that he's never like when after this. He's also talking about, uh, he's uh, saying that he's never seen a person so strong as Lenny, right? Slim also comments on how unusual relationship it has been between George and Lenny, right? Because 
as me and my birdie colleague has said, that back then at those times, it hasn't been accepted that two men by themselves are coming into the job by themselves as in a relationship, right? Now, not a big, deep personal relationship, but like what I mean per relationship is that they are very good friends, right? This is not typical. Usually they come by themselves. So George becomes defensive. So he adds to this. And but but Slim didn't mean any harm. He was just talking about like, hey, you and you and Lenny seem to be very close. What's what's about that? He didn't mean to be offensive at all. And so then George comes down and he says, he tells George that a few men, few men, very few men that he has seen over the years he's worked here in this ranch. He never never seen them work together. He's never seen them come together actually. And then he calls Lenny cuckoo for some reason. Like he calls Lenny that's smart. So then after that, George tells him the story about why is he with Lenny is because basically in abbreviation, when Lenny's aunt Clara died, Lenny began traveling with George. George tells Slim that he used to play jokes on Lenny and it was easy because Lenny was dumb to defend himself, right? Lenny was strong, which he could have crushed George, but instead, no matter what he did, he never got mad at him. Which is amazing, right? Because no matter what he did to to Lenny, he would never be angry at him, right? So um yeah, that's it's amazing how someone could be so peaceful, right? Now, uh Lenny jumped in when he one day Lenny tried to impress a bunch of men by telling Lenny that he could jump into the river. The man didn't believe him. He was like, "Nah, that's that's completely that's never going to happen." And then George just wanted to show off and he said, "Lenny, jump in the water." And guess what Lenny did? Lenny jumped in the water, but he couldn't swim and he nearly drowned. So then from then on, uh what's the name? Sorry. Uh George never played tricks on Lenny again. George never played tricks on Lenny again. Slim agrees that Lenny is a nice man and says that no one will be no sorry that no that one does not have to be smart to be a good person. Now that's some wisdom right there people. Um uh, Slim agrees that Lenny is a nice man and says that no one has to be smart to be a good person. Everyone be smart. Oh, no, sorry. Everyone be kind to everybody, you know? We're in the middle of a pandemic. What else are we going to do? We're sitting at home or depends where you are. Sometimes some places that you're doing great, you know? But here in Ireland, we're doing okay. You know, we're not really good. We're you know, doing good. Um so then George explains to Lenny, uh George George explains to Lenny that uh, that the girl in the red dress uh, just he, uh sorry. Um George confines uh, sorry, George tells Slim that what Lenny didn't read. Okay? So if you forgot on what happened was that he basically touched uh touched a, a girl's red dress and uh she kind of just freaked out. She's like, "What are you doing?" And then she told her to stop. And Lenny didn't understand what stop means. He, he's a person that doesn't understand what stopping stop means. Like, you know when you tell someone to stop, they they just don't stop. That is what Lenny is. And then the girl became scared and screamed 
when the screams confused Lenny, he reacted and held even tighter, right? Uh, George had to hit him over the head with a fence picket. A fence post, if you're in Europe, or whatever you want to call it, right? To release the girl. That is insane. Why would you hit your companion with a fence post over the head? Okay. So the girl told girl told the authorities that Lenny touched her inappropriately. Now, so basically, she told the she told the popo that Lenny touched her inappropriately without her consent. Oh my God, Lenny! Why? You have to ruin everything. They had a good time, but no, it has to ruin it. Uh. And so, like, my, my, uh, my, my reaction on that is just, okay, um, so, first of all, never lie, because I'm not sure what happened to the girl after, but I kind of want to find out, but then the girl, oh my gosh, so the, the man in weed was sent out in a group to find Lenny and kill him or hang him, right? So they wanted to basically make him pay for his now I how do you do those things? The the two fingers, the, the rabbit fingers that you do to your friends, that stuff. I that they that she told them that Lenny touched her. Uh Okay, and um well, here. So then, people believe they hid. He, Lenny, and George hid in, in a in a irrigation ditch. So basically, irrigation ditch is when there's a lot of water when it rains a lot, and it, the water goes into a ditch or like a pit, whatever you want to call it. When it got dark, they ran out of town. Okay. Lenny, uh, so uh, just like talking about that, Lenny comes into the bunkhouse hiding the puppy. This is how much he loved the puppy that he even hid it in the bunkhouse when Lenny told him not to. He lies to George about telling uh, 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 le- he lies to George, telling him he is not he does not have the puppy. But George makes him take the puppy back into the barn. Now, this shows that Lenny is lonely. Like he he's lonely even though he has George. He is lonely. Which is kind of sad, right? Like, even when you have a companion, you're sad. He tells that Lenny... that He tells Lenny that the puppy needs to be with his mother. Mother. And Lenny agrees and returns the puppy and leaves. Slim says that Lenny is just like a kid and George agrees. Now, again, kid-parent friendship. That is always the story in this part here. Now... Another big factor here, Carlson tries to convince Candy to shoot his own dog that he has had for so many years that he's so old that he can be smelt from 200 feet away. That's what he says here. Um, and any use of that animal is suffering it. What? So basically when it's saying here, if you ever use that animal to work, you're making it suffer, right? So. I don't know, like, I feel like you should just leave the dog. I think the whole big thing was just that he didn't wash the dog. 
So here it says, Candy does not want his dog to be killed. He says that his dog has been since with him since he was a pup. Carlson persists, and when Candy says he cannot shoot the dog, Carlson offers to do it for him. Now, this part here, I am highlighting it in green because you know why? If you, if you, I'm giving you two seconds to, uh, five seconds to say what I, I was gonna say. Five, four, three, two, and one. I know I can't fast, but I, I'm trying to get things done. So this is a foreshadowing for Lenny's death in the end of the book, right? Candy does not want to kill his own dog. He says that he has his dog since he was a pup. Carlson persists. And when he says he can't shoot his own dog, Carlson says he'll do it for him. Now, Slim tells Candy that he can have one of his new pups, right? So, you know, replace it, you know? That's that's what he, that's what he thinks. Uh, he also tells Candy that Carlson is right. And he hopes that he becomes, uh, he had hoped that if he becomes old and crippled, that somehow he will shoot him. So basically what he was saying there is that when he becomes old, when a dog becomes old, that then Tandy will actually try to shoot him. Because imagine, hopefully this doesn't happen to you, but imagine that your dog is old, crippled, and doesn't, it's not even washed, it's dirty, it stinks, right? And it's maybe 15 years old, and that dog lives 20, like maybe 20, right? Has four years left. But if you wanna, if you wanna, like, if you really care about your dog and you wanna put it out of its misery, like it's it's in pain, it has a broken leg, something like that, right? You're gonna put it out of, like, obviously broken leg. It's like if it has cancer and it's not fixable and they can't take the tumor out because it's in their brain or something like that. That is so painful for an owner, as an owner who's lost their own like pet i've lost my i've lost a pet I, I grieved for maybe two or three months it was it was incredible over just a hamster that's how much i really cared about my pet and then carlson comes up and just tells him i'll shoot your dog for you just that it's just depressing just to, to listen they not just to listen or just read it's just it hurts sometimes the men change the topic and begin a new conversation but carlson will not stop talking about his stinking dog See, this is how much he loves his dog, that he just, you know, just just doesn't stop talking. Like, he really cares. Finally, Candy, Candy, Candy agrees that Carlson can shoot the animal. Carlson takes the old dog outside. Slim reminds him to take a shovel. Candy lies on his back, staring at the ceiling, not talking to the other men. Slim and Candy... Slim tells Candy that he can have any of his new puppies that he likes, but Candy does not answer. They hear a shot. Everyone looks at Candy, and he rolls over, facing the wall, and remains silent. Now, the reason I said that nice and soft is because, you know, that's a sad moment in the book, but also foreshadowing what is going to happen to Lenny in the start of the book. Okay, so another another ranch hand, Wit, and George plays cards. I think when they mean Wit, they mean uh, what's his name? Slim. So I'm not sure if it's Wit or Slim. Now that's gonna confuse people, but I read the book twice, and I do not remember 
a person called Wit. So I don't think it's Wit, but you know. Okay, another rat hand, Wit or Slim, and and George play cards as they discuss Curly's wife. Ooh, this is interesting. George says that she's going to make a mess, and they are going to be in a big mess, in a big ma- in a bad mess about her. She's jailbait, and uh, jailbait all set on the trigger. Okay, so that small point there. They are degrading a woman. Now, if you've read the book, I keep saying if you read the book, if you haven't, it doesn't matter if you have read or not. This is literally talking the whole book in maybe an hour, right? So basically, um. Okay, so basically, the degrader, she's only mentioned three times in the book, in three different scenes. She's mentioned a bunch of different times, but she's only shown three times. Not shown, but said three times, right? So, um, Wit invites George to go to a, uh, invites George to go to a, um, Let's say goes goes to a uh, I don't I don't want to say the word it's just that goes to a, a cat house that's the word and then to the next night there are two cat houses in the town Wit says he prefers old Susie's place to Clara's because Susie cracks jokes and lets the men hang around and drink George says he will go look at the place but he cannot afford to pay for pleasure but. He and Lenny are saving money. Lenny and Carlson en- enter together. Uh, Curly sa- bursts in the room and asks if the men they have seen their wife. They say they have not seen her. Then, this is where the beef happens, right? So, if I'm just going to grab my... If I have it here... Is it draw? Is it in draw? Is this one... Draw? I am trying to draw that. Uh-oh, that's why it's That's thick. There you go. Let's see. There. there you go. Um. So, uh, do do Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? Where is that? Okay. Curly. If that wants to work. So Curly bursts into the room and asks if the men have seen his wife. They say they have not heard, uh, seen her. What? Seen her. Curly then asks, "Where is Slim?" Ooh, that's some beef. George says that he that tells that Slim is in the barn and Curly runs out. Wit says that he that he wants to see Curly and Slim fight because Curly used to be a good boxer. Or was he? Because in the start of the book, I think I, I think is that I do is that he got his hand crushed by um by Mr. Lenny, he got his hand crushed in a fight. So, Curly thinks that Slim is having an affair with his wife. I would not be wrong, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, George says that Lenny does not want any trouble and they'll stay in the bunkhouse. Wit and Carl, ha- Wit and Carlson leave, hoping to fight, to see a fight in the barn. Lenny admits to George that Slim told him not to pet the puppies so much because they're so young. Now, here we go again. Another foreshadowing. Just before um, uh, Curly's wife is killed, Lenny killed his puppy. He, uh, Lenny, I think the dog bit him, and uh, 
then he got pissed. And basically what happened is that he he uh, snapped his neck. You know, just as uh, simple as that. Snapped his neck. So there you go. Uh so uh, Lenny admits to telling her not the puppies uh, not to pet the puppies so much because they are so young. Okay? George reminds Lenny to stay out of fights. Lenny agrees and he does not want any trouble. George mentions Curly wife uh, George mentions Curly's wife and says he prefers women that work for pleasure to other women because he knows up front how much it is gonna cost him. Lenny changes the subject again to a piece of property that they want to have someday. A farm. Uh, George tells Lenny that he knows he that he knows of a place that they can buy with the money that they have. He describes the place and assures Lenny that he can build hutches for rabbits. Basically, a a rabbit pen or a chicken pen. Depends what you want to say. George continues to add detail to the fantasy. So this is your 1930s American dream. Everyone wants a farm. Everyone wants to to live off their own land. You know, this is their life. It's like, we want to have our own life. This is going to be fun for us, you know. But Lenny has to screw it all up. Again and again and again and again. Okay. Uh, he also tells Lenny that they'll only have to work for six or seven hours a day. That's a nine to nine to five job, I think. Nine to five. That's uh, oh god. I just had my math test a couple days ago. God, I don't know. Okay. Well, continue. Uh, George says that. Uh, George says that he will have a few cats, but Lenny says the cats hurt rabbits. He will break their necks. Okay, then. So, uh, George, uh, Lenny just says that he will break the cat's necks if they kill a rabbit. So, who has been listening in the conversation? Candy has been listening in the conversation and surprises them by asking George if he really knows a place to buy. That is amazing. Um, Let's go here, and we just press that and that. Now, maybe I can publish these, but I don't know. I have to ask the writer. But okay. Because these are literally amazing people who have to study mice and men. This is a typical Irish book for second year. Second, third, and first year. Um, George is guarded, but Candy asks more questions. Uh, George says that he can purchase a 600 a place for $600. In an accident on a ranch. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So, uh, George is, in, is guarded, but Candy asks one more question. George says that he can purchase a place for $600 in an accident that he has had in a ranch. He thinks that he can get another $100 as well. Candy says... Candy says that he has received $250 when he lost his hand. If they let him, if they let him put his money and live with him, he will cook and tend to the chickens. Uh, and then George thinks it's over for a little bit, right? Maybe five, ten minutes. He's like, let me think about it. And then he concludes that we will get enough money in another month. Now that month will never come, right? Because Lenny screws it up, which is just sad. And then here, uh, 
The men fall silent in amazement. George realizes that his dream may actually become true. I feel bad, man. I feel really bad. Candy says that he'll be fired soon because he cannot work so hard anymore. He's lost his arm, so he's just cleaning the bunkhouse, right? He says that he'll have no place to go and not able to to get another job. But if this if that happens, he hopes that he'll be... Wait, what? Oh, so he says that uh he that Candy basically says that he's going to be fired soon and he won't be able to get another job because he doesn't have an arm. And he said if that happens to him, he hopes that he gets shot like his dog. Okay? Now, that's a bit rough. And I don't think I would want to be get shot like my dog because uh not saying I not, not I'm not saying that my dog was shot. I'm just saying in Candy's perspective, I would not want to be shot like my dog. I just w- want to work until I die. That's you know, that's kind of not right. Like if you don't have enough money to retire, you know, not don't retire well, unless you want to. But that's life. He decides that he'll be able to buy the land if they combine their money. He is excited that they'll think that they will they will be able to go to a ball game or a circus without asking for permission. He's that he he will write to the people who own the land and tell them that they will buy it. The men are excited, and George instructs Lenny and Candy not to tell anybody else by their plan. Candy Candy says he wishes that he had shot the dog himself. He regrets letting a stranger shoot his dog. I am going to highlight that in red. That is literally of another foreshadowing of that he's dead. I don't know how many foreshadows they have. Um, they have so many foreshadows. Uh, red, 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 red. Candy does not want to kill his dog. He says that he has uh, he says that he has a dog since he persists and when Candy says he cannot shoot his dog uh, Carlson offers uh, to shoot him for him Carlson tells Candy he can have one of his pups also telling Candy that Carlson is right and he hopes that he will become crippled and someone will shoot him okay um so after before our next point I need to take a break I know we're doing another half an hour but you know, I'm trying to get this all done. There's a little bit left, maybe 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, yeah, I have a little page on different points that I've written up, or I got written up for me. And, uh, after this small break, I will be back to you guys, okay? So, thank you so much. I'm not finishing now. There's still a bit more to go, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And thank you. I hope you have a great everybody um i am tired but yeah so i hope you are all doing well i am now going to finish what we have started until this part yeah we've a little bit left and i am almost done with our time limit of one hour and 15 minutes so what i think i haven't fin- listened to it but what i think we have finished on is candy says that he wished that he shot his dog himself so curly comes in and follows by Whitney carlson Curly's apologizing, saying that he did not mean to question Slim about his wife. So at least, Slim is a bit, not Slim, sorry, at least, Curly is a bit apologetic, you know? 
uh, so then here it says uh, Carlson says that uh, that says Curly should be for uh, forbid his wife from coming around the bunkhouse. The man gang gang up on Curly. Even Candy teases him about the glove full of Vaseline, which was you which is used to touch his wife. Um, suddenly Curly sees Lenny, who is smiling over, uh, over the plan to buy a property. Curly, Curly's accusations of Lenny laughing at him confuses Lenny. Curly punches Lenny several times, and Lenny begs him to stop. George yells at Lenny to defend himself, but Lenny continues to to take a beating until George again tells him to fight back. Then Lenny grabs his arm. Well, Lenny grabs Curly's arm. And then crushes it. He refuses to let go until George slaps him. Now, as you saw with the uh, lady in the weed, the only way that he could get Lenny off hit the girl was by hitting him with a fence post, right? So here we see it again. He refuses to let go until George slaps him in the head. There is another, well, we won't say foreshadowing, but probably, like, is there there a word of aftershadowing? I don't know. Basically, the words is on the top up there, which is that he had to hit him with a fence post. That that was the foreshadowing of this. Lenny has broken every bone in Curly's hand. Imagine the pain that you must go through when all your bones in your hand are broken. Oh, my gosh. Slim tells Curly that he is so injured that uh, that Lin Slim tells Curly to say that he was injured in a machine or accident or they'll tell everyone what really happened. Curly agrees. Now this part here, uh, here, 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 here. Uh, Slim tells Curly. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to highlight that so I can have it here. So there you go. So Slim tells Curly. That he has injured, he that he was that he got injured in a machinery accident, where they'll tell everybody that he got beaten by Lenny. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. That was loud. That was my phone just fell. Um. Well, you see, that's that's Curly's ego there, right there. He's worried that people are gonna think that he's weak, right? So George confronts Lenny straight away and telling him that the fight was not his fault. Lenny asks if he can still tend to the rabbits. Now, my gosh. Uh, 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 here we go. Lenny asks if he can still tend to the rabbits. Th- that is Lenny's goal. That he wants to tend to the rabbits, right? So, do we just click here and select blue? And we go to Lenny. This part here. And we click all of this. So, uh, it's kind of dark. Oh my gosh. Okay. So George tells Lenny, and I'm sorry, Lenny asks if he can still tend to the rabbits. See, that's that's his life goal, right? Um, that's pretty much the whole thing that I can see here. Scrolling down a page, yeah, that's all I have at the moment. So if I get any more, I'll continue. You know. So this is probably part one because I'll probably find some more stuff from this. Um, so I don't know, but um, I'm trying to say, yeah, that's fine. Um, so I hope you are all doing well. I hope uh, you're all safe during this pandemic. 
and maybe I release another one but this will be on Spotify and uh, that hopefully will be it unless I oh never mind never mind I got a bunch more um here we go uh, I'm guessing we do a little bit more maybe I might just um post this one so it's like a break so I'll post this one first, and then I will um, redo chapter 4, and I think there's more. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter... Oh, chapter 6. Okay. So I have two more chapters to go after this one, so I think we did a lot for today. So, well, for now, I'm going to continue going after I post the last one. So this one is a nice goodbye, and I'll talk to you later. Goodbye.